So as you can tell, I'm up here again. Uh, Ryan keeps begging out because he's got to preach, you know. <laughs> uh, he will be back, I think, Lord willing, uh, in Ecclesiastes next week. But one way or the other, Lord willing, I will not be here because Vicki and I will be in Huntsville, Alabama visiting family. So, Ryan, if you need somebody to fill in again, Roger. <laughs> All right, we, I'm going to uh, follow up uh, in Philippians. We were in Philippians last week. I started chapter 4. We went through the first nine verses. <clears throat> and I said, well, might as well just keep going in Philippians. It's a great book. Uh, so we're in Philippians Four this morning, and I'm going to try to cover verses 10 through 20. And I can tell you that there's so much meat here that I struggled to trying to get through that adequately. Uh, certainly, most pastors and teachers break this up into multiple <coughs> uh, sermons or teaching sessions. So this is going to be a high flyover, I suppose. <coughs> we'll start by reading. In Philippians 4, verses 10 through 20. <clears throat> but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. <clears throat> Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply su supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father, the glory be glory forever and ever. Amen. So just a quick review of this letter of Philippians. Uh, the Philippian church was uh, visited during... Paul's second missionary trip, which we think occurred in the late 40s, early 50s uh, A.D. Um, Philippi is up in the, it was the first uh, church in Europe, probably in, in current day uh, Greece, uh, that Paul went to, the first church that was planted in Europe, Lydia, probably being the first convert uh, in Europe. <clears throat> And uh, we go on, and those are captured in Acts 16. We go on in that story uh, about the Philippian jailer, uh, how uh, Paul and Silas were cast into jail because Paul cast out the, the demon that was allowing this, uh, or incur en enabling this uh, girl to be a fortune teller. And uh, because they lost their means of business, they had uh, Paul and Silas flogged brought into jail, 
and then we remember that they joyfully sang hymns that night, and then we have the story of the Philippian jailer. <clears throat> and then uh, we have the city officials coming uh, and uh, through a series of events there asking Paul and Silas to leave uh, Philippi, and they went on then to Thessalonica, which was about, I'm guessing, 50, 75 miles west, still in Macedonian area, and then from there they went to Berea. So those three uh, churches there are generally considered the churches, when, when we see a reference to the churches of Macedonia, that's probably the three main churches that we're talking about, and you'll see why I'm saying that a little bit later. Uh, from those churches in Macedonia in that trip, Paul then went on to Athens and then went on to Corinth, and we'll see in a little bit why I'm mentioning that as well. So <clears throat> several, later, several years later, Paul went on his third missionary journey, probably in the mid-50s, and again visited Philippi, uh, and that's captured in Acts 20. And then later on, when this book was written, we believe that it was written probably in 60, 61 AD, when Paul was a prisoner probably in Rome. Now I'm giving you all that history so that you can have a better feel for the context of what's going on here in this uh, passage that we're reading today, when it says that uh, you lacked opportunity to, uh, to supply my needs, but it's been revived in verse 10. Paul was a very busy fellow, moving all over the, the uh, region there, from city to city, and the, Philippi the Philippians were for a time trying to keep up with him and followed him with gifts. But you can imagine that over the decade that he was going through these missionary trips, that they were having a hard time keeping up with him. They didn't have the communications that we have today. And so <clears throat> uh, the Philippian church um, had found Paul again, and we don't know the means exactly, but he was now a prisoner in Rome. And so when they heard this, they immediately sent a gift through Epaphroditus, and this letter is then a, basically a thank you note uh, back to the Philippians through Epaphroditus as he comes back to the Philippians. And so the core of the thank you note really is captured in this section that we're dealing with today. All that kind of is an uh, introduction. I've tried to um, break this teaching down into two main categories for us today as we look at this. One is the spiritual fruit of gratitude which results in giving, which also results in man's joy and in doxology to God. And the second one is the spiritual fruit of contentment resulting in man's joy and also resulting in doxology to God. So two main points here that we're gonna talk about today. The spiritual fruit of gratitude, which results in giving, and the spiritual fruit of contentment. Uh, and you'll notice in um, that text that we read, Verses um, 11 through 13 are almost parenthetical, where Paul starts talking about thanking them, and then he breaks off and talks about his contentment, and then he picks up again in verse 14 and talks further about the thanks for the gift. So that's the way I'm going to handle it. We'll look at verses uh, uh, 10, and then we'll skip down and include verses 14 through 20, and then we'll come back and talk about verses 11 through 13 as contentment. So that's kind of the direction we're going this morning. Um, 
<clears throat> As I said, this letter, this letter is primarily a uh, thank you note to the Philippians. And uh, I need to stress here, it's not a typical thank you note. It's not like Vicki Baird typically writes thank you notes to somebody for a gift or so on and so forth. It's not, it's not like uh, I give Craig gifts and he thanks it for me. So that's, that's kind of a two-way street there, horizontal. But we lose our understanding of what Paul is doing here if we don't see that Paul is talking about a three-dimensional uh, thanks or a gift and thanks and receiving. And when I say that, Paul is thanking them because he is really happy to get the gift for its temporal um, abundance that he gives him, the supply. But he's really drawing their attention. He's putting on his apostolic teaching hat for them and for us. And he's giving them another gift in this teaching. And he's saying, oh, by the way, we need to keep in mind that God is behind the scenes in all of this. Um, and so <clears throat> as we read this, we can read it as a thank you note, but you'll notice that Paul is very much directing us toward uh, the relationship that they and he had in Christ and that all of the gifts and the thank yous and the receiving are, uh, including in, are, are included in that relationship with God. And he draws our attention to the reality that God's behind all this and that's why he really breaks out in doxology in verse uh, 20. So we have to keep in mind that uh, what Paul is teaching us here is that all of these uh, givings and receivings that occur and the thank yous that occur are not two-dimensional, me to you or you to me, but we have to keep in mind that it's God behind the scenes that's enabling all of it. So just to uh, uh, put more specifics on that, Paul is very aware that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gift from God. That's the first gift. That's the gift from God on which everything else is built here. Paul's original teaching to the Philippians was a gift to them by him and by God. It was them that responded in gratitude to that gift that caused them to be a people who followed Paul in his ministry and give him gifts, which we'll read more about here. It was the Philippians' prayerful support of Paul that was due to a heart change that they had. So again, God's behind that. They didn't just all of a sudden decide, hey, we're going to be God's people and we're going to follow Paul with these, all these gifts. God's working in their hearts. He's changed their hearts. Now they're God's people and God has sanctified them and they're sanctified in such, the, such a way that they want to give God's people gifts as the gospel is spread further. Uh, the gifts that they gave were all of God. Paul brings that point to bear here in this text. He says uh, in verse 19, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. So it's Paul is bringing to mind to them that what they're giving is really what God has given them to give. It's all God behind the scenes. So God's receipt of the gift was all due to God's good providence in burdening the Philippians' hearts and providing for uh, Epaphroditus as a courier. Uh, and <clears throat> the giving that the Philippians did to Paul allowed them to share in the gospel. So they're 
sharing in, God, in Paul's uh, work, we see that if you look over, I won't take time to do it, but if you look over in Philippians, I think it's verse 5 or 6 of chapter 1, it talks about sharing in his afflictions, sharing in spreading the gospel. So Paul is saying, yes, thank you for the gift. It's well enjoyed by me. It's ample supply. But let's also keep in mind here what's going on behind the scenes. There's three-dimensional work going on. It's God who's changed the hearts. It's God who sent the gospel. It's God who gives people uh, the desire to be uh, thankful and to follow through with giving. It's God who um, uh, sent the gifts to Paul through his good providence, through Epaphroditus. So Paul is not letting us think here just, it's just me giving you a gift, or it's us as a church giving missionaries gift. We always have to come back to the reality that it's God behind the scenes who deserves glory for this. So that's core to what Paul is teaching them and us. Uh, there's kind of an analogy here, I think. Um, it, when we talked in James chapter 4, you remember we, we had that passage where the businessmen were, were saying, uh, we're going to go do business in thus and so in this time frame in this city. And Paul says, no, really what you should be saying is, if the Lord wills, I will go do thus and so uh, in this city in this time frame. And I think what Paul is teaching us here, likewise, is that in all giving and receiving between Christians, and especially Christians, churches, to missionaries, we always need to keep in mind that it's God's changing of our hearts that have driven us to that gratitude it's God who has given us resources that we might be able to do this. It's God that has sent the gospel to, the, to those people through that missionary. Uh, and it's us that are getting to participate in that. And all that should drive us to doxology. That's what Paul is driven to toward the end of this passage. As he looks about all these things that the Lord has done behind the scenes and all the workings he's done, it drives him toward uh, doxology. So looking a little bit more specifically back at verse 10, it says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Uh, we should not read this as kind of a veiled accusation uh, from Paul that their giving had been lacking heretofore. Uh, they had lost count of where Paul was over this decade and all of his traveling. Uh, it's probably better read by the King James where it says your care for me has flourished again. It was all, the concern was always there, but the opportunity was not there. And now it's like a flower that's flourished again. The church has found out that Paul has needs, so they're going to quickly put together a gift and they're going to send their courier to deal with Paul's needs. They're a very caring church. Um, so... I want, to, I want to bring out the example that Philippians is to us. I had never really considered it very carefully until I did this study. But if you think about the examples of the churches in the New Testament, they uh, all had their reputations, I suppose. The Corinthian church was kind of messed up as far as a lot of moral issues. Uh, the Galatians uh, were kind of messed up pretty quickly about uh, going in a wayward direction with the gospel. The Philippians are just a premier example of a 
church that is uh, working out of gratitude and thankfulness to the Lord, which results in giving. Their heart is uh, a giving church, and it's an example for individual Christians. It's also an example <coughs> for churches. And I, I want to um, read a couple of things here. Even from the very beginning, um, we see when Lydia was converted, we see that manifesting itself. You don't have to turn there for this one. Uh, in Acts 16, 15, it says, And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. That's, that's the heart of someone who has been given this gift, this wonderful gift of eternal life and recognizing it. And the very first response is gratitude. And in that gratitude uh, comes with giving, comes with hospitality. Uh, she prevailed upon us. And we see the same thing happen with the jailer when he was converted. In Acts 16, uh, 33 through 34, it says, and he, the jailer, took them that very hour, that night, and washed their wounds. This is Paul and Silas. And immediately he was baptized, he and his whole household, and he brought them into his house and set food before them, rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. So, again, we see that example. This is what we should see when people are converted. We should see it uh, uh, from people who have been converted and are 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road or 30 years down that road. We should see it in churches. Uh, that rejoicing and that hospitality, that heart of gratitude should, should never change. Uh, and we see it uh, mentioned in verse 15 and following in that passage that we're at today in chapter 4. It says, Paul says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone, for even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my need. So in, Thessal in the churches of Macedonia, as I mentioned earlier, you had Philippi, then you had Thessalonica, then you had Berea. And so when he left those three churches, he left Macedonia, he went to Athens, and then he went to Korea, Corinth. They were still giving. They were following him. He says, after I left Macedonia, you were still giving to me. The only one's given to me. And then he also says, and by the way, more than once you gave to me when I went over to your neighbor Thessalonica. So this church is unique, uh, and we need to understand that. Not, I, I say unique. Hopefully they're not unique, but they're an example of how they followed Paul in gratitude, trying to keep up with him and supporting his ministry. And I would like for you to turn over with me as we read a little bit more about their uh, gratitude exploits, we might call it, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> Paul here is encouraging the Corinthians. I think the Corinthians needed a fair amount of encouragement to give gifts. But he's encouraging them, and he's using the example of the churches in Macedonia and reading that Philippi uh, as an example to them. So in 2 Corinthians 11, 8 through 9, it says, I, Paul, robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, 
I was not a burden to anyone, for when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need and everything. I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. So Paul is reminding these Corinthians that while he was with them, sharing the gospel, a free gift, he was doing it freely because other churches, and that other church was Philippi, uh, was continuing to follow Paul and give him gifts and support his ministry. Not only that, but turn over to, uh, in the same book, 2 Corinthians, turn back to chapter 8, and we see another picture of that um, church of Philippi referenced as churches of Macedonia. So that may have included Thessalonica at that point. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5 says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep and in their deep poverty overflowed in wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So you see here that, you remember I was talking about that three-dimensional thing? That we, when we're giving, we always have to include uh, giving glory to the Lord about this. So it says, they first gave themselves to the Lord, in verse 5, and to us by the will of God. And you notice in that passage that they gave in an abundance of joy. Remember we talked last week about joy? They gave in an abundance of joy. And what state were they in? <clears throat> well, they were uh, in great ordeal, verse 2, of affliction when they gave in abundance of joy. What an example, right? This is that same Philippian church following Paul into Corinth and giving out of their... Uh, uh, affliction and it says that they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability you notice in the passage that we're dealing with today one of the I think it was verse 19 it talks about the uh, sweet aroma of the sacrifice before Lord before the Lord they were giving sacrificially sacrificially they weren't just tithing I don't believe they were giving sacrificially out of their need they were following Paul because they wanted to participate in the gospel. So <clears throat> what an example they are to us. Uh, let's go on in verse uh, 17 of chapter 4 back in Philippians because <clears throat> I have to move on. 17, not that I seek the gift itself. This is Paul again speaking. He's going back now to his thank you note after talking about con contentment. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. <clears throat> but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I have amp amply been amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Jesus Christ. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So... Paul's attitude here is he doesn't want to communicate, yes, thank you very much for my gift. It's been helpful. It's, that's the temporal gift that Paul says, yes, thank you for it. 
But really what we should be rejoicing about is the fact that you have a heart of gratitude, that Lord has worked in your heart, you have gratitude and which has resulted in this gift and the Lord is so gracious that he even accounts it as a reward to you because you have done this. He counts it as a sweet smelling aroma um, and that is really what I think when Paul is thinking about all this action that's happened, the bringing of the gospel, gospel to the Philippians, their changed heart, their desire now to share with the gospel, they're actually manifesting it physically. That's what's bringing Paul to uh, this doxology toward the end when he thinks about all the good work that the Lord has done in bringing him and sharing the gospel and changing their hearts so that their hearts are full of gratitude, so that they manifest that in giving. All that, he's saying, uh, it's just wonderful what the Lord has done. And that's what we really need to keep in mind. That's what brings us joy. It is true that we have joy when we get the gift or when we give the gift, but it's the Lord behind it and His actions to change our hearts and make us willing to give and make us uh, godly receivers of gifts and thankful people. That's what really should bring doxology. Okay, so Calvin says about the Philippians, again, I'm just following up that they're such a great example. He says, while they, the Philippians, were tried with adversity, they nevertheless did not cease to rejoice in the Lord. Nay, this disposition of joy in the Lord rose so high it swallowed up sorrow. The Macedonians, making no account of themselves and almost losing sight of themselves, concerned themselves with providing for others. They were willing of their own accord and so well prepared for the duty that they needed no exhortation. It was a great thing to strive up to the measure of their ability and hence to exert themselves beyond their ability. So just a, a quick summary there. The, the Philippians are a wonderful example to us uh, and sacrificial, joyful, giving, uh, and we always need to hearken back to the reality that it's the Lord and His gifts that are the foundation of all that. The gospel, the changed hearts, and He actually gives the, the material means uh, that we are able to give. All right, moving then quickly to back to verses 11 through 13, the spiritual fruit of contentment. 11 through 13, and I'm going to tack on to that verses 19 and 20 again because I think uh, this contentment is also <coughs> part of the uh, reason for Paul's doxology. Verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, and my God will supply your needs according to his riches in Jesus Christ. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So right here in the middle of this thank you note, we see that Paul, again, is putting on his apostolic teaching hat because he doesn't want the Philippians to get sidetracked about giving and receiving as that is the core issue. Paul is saying, be more like, be like me. Be content whether you have uh, possessions or you don't. 
So he's saying, I would have been content. I am content. Without your gift, I am also content with your gift. I am enjoying your gift, but I want you to understand, he's giving back to the Philippians here the teaching that we must be finding our contentment, not in circumstances, but in Christ. <clears throat> and so all the while he's receiving the gift, he's sending back a gift to them in the letter in this very core teaching about the necessity of being content in Christ. Uh, there's potential abuses of this passage. Contentment, um, godly contentment is not ignoring the proper use of our gifts. It's not sitting back and saying, well, I'm content with where I'm at, so I'm going to just slack off and not do anything. Paul himself, if you look at his picture of Paul, he was a very busy fellow. He was very busy using his gifts and his talents for the glory of the Lord while he was content. So content, contentment is not laziness, it's not fatalism, case or sarah, whatever happens, happens, so why try? It's not that kind of contentment. It shouldn't drive laziness. Um, it is involving the proper use of our gifts and talents, <clears throat> but it is not, uh, just like we talked about in Joy uh, last week, it is not driven by worldly circumstances. It's driven by the reality that we are in Christ. And so in Christ, circumstances come and go and shouldn't be the controller of our contentment. This contentment is a very dangerous sin. It's the mother of uh, many evils, mumbling and complaining against God and man. It complains against God's love, wisdom, and power. And I stole this from some commentator, I don't remember who. But it, discontentment says, God didn't love me enough to send his son, but he did. And adopt me as his child. Uh, it's against his wisdom because it says, somehow God's brought these circumstances and he doesn't seem to know what he's doing. But he is sovereign. He brings them for a purpose. And it's against his power because it, it acts like God's not capable of changing things. God's out of control. Why is this happening? Can't God control this? So mumbling against God in discontentment is against his love and his wisdom uh, and his power. We have to remember that uh, discontentment was what he went through Eve's mind, right? She was discontent that God had said, you can't have that particular fruit. You got all the other stuff, but I'm discontent because I can't have that one. Uh, <clears throat> resulting in, uh, as you know, uh, the fall of mankind. Uh, so core here is that our contentment, Christian contentment, is not to be controlled by circumstances. And you notice here in this passage, it says in verse 12, I have learned the secret of being filled. Paul, the apostle, had to learn it. How did he learn it? Well, he went through life of all kinds of trials, right? Uh, ups and downs, uh, riches and poor, mostly poor, being beaten, uh, hungry, thirsty, tired. Uh, he had to learn it. We're no better. We're definitely no better than Apostle Paul. We also uh, have to learn it. And how do we learn it? Well. I'm sorry to say there's, there's good news and bad news. 
the bad news is that the Lord puts us through learning through the school of circumstances. <clears throat> so I've got a picture for you. Most of you, I think all of you will be able to see it. Uh, if you've got two little kids, two moms, two little kids are playing nice and independently, got their own separate little toys, they're happy. And one mom says, they're such well-behaved children. And then all magically there's a third toy thrown in the middle and they both see it at the same time and they both want it. And what happens if they're not so well content and well behaved? Well, there's potentially, I've seen it, I did it I'm sure as a child, there's fighting, there's bloodletting, there's biting. <clears throat> because you really don't know how well a child's behaved until they have a circumstance that tests them, right? Well, we're like that. I'm sorry to say us adults are like that, and the Lord knows that. If I were to come down the hall and ask most of you, are you content today? Most of you are going to say yes, right? I would. I'm pretty content. But what happens if the Lord burns my house down? What happens if I get cancer? What happens if I lose a child? Am I still content? Those are hard circumstances, but the Lord puts us through. He put Paul through, and he's going to put us through. He, that's the way he trains us. I'm sorry, you know, that's the way it is. Uh, it's reality. God trains us through circumstances. And so we're all going to be in the school of circumstances as we learn contentment. God didn't flash a bolt of lightning in our hearts, and all of a sudden we're just godly content from now on. It's not. He could do that, but he didn't do that. So how does he do that? Through the school of circumstances. <clears throat> and then just one quick comment about how, do we, how are we to be content. It says, this is uh, that verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So that, that verse is the most placized verse probably ever. But I want you to understand, it, in context, what that means is I can be content no matter what circumstances the Lord brings into my life. It doesn't mean I can run as fast as a speeding bullet or jump over buildings in a single bound. It means I can be content in Christ in whatever circumstances the Lord brings into my life. Now, if we can't do that, we need to take the plaque down until we can. Or at least maybe it's a reminder, but it's a reminder not that I can do anything in the Lord, it, it is a reminder that I can be content in the Lord in whatever circumstances He brings in front of me. And as Paul has reached that level of contentment, he breaks out in doxology, I think, as well, saying that uh, my God can supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Jesus Christ. So now, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. So in summary here, in Christ, in that relationship that we now have, we can be and we should be grateful people that results in sacrificial giving. And we can be a people who are content in Christ and all to His glory. All right, I'll have to stop there. Any questions or comments? All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that you gave us both in Paul and in the Philippian church. And we ask you to help us to be a people who are indeed content and grateful in Christ because he has done it all.
and it all is His, and we are simply stewards. We pray now that as we go before you in worship, that what we uh, do and say and think would be glorifying to you. We pray that you'd be with Ryan as he preaches. Uh, and we ask all of it for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.